0: Hello and welcome to the Soundwave podcast, music, technology, stories, for people who love the art and science of listening to and enjoying recorded sound. Here it's all about the art and magic of sound reproduction and related human stories. We survey music, technology, and stories from the early beginnings of the relatively low hi-fi to the heyday of the 70s high fidelity and the modern age of digital and streaming. I'm your host, Pat Shepard. Well, we are eight episodes into the show, and I started thinking it would be interesting to take a quick look at the innovation around stereo as a technology and how stereo recordings were created for mass consumption. We will see that there was a long buildup, and then a lot of things all came together to allow stereo recordings to become widely and wildly adopted by people around the world. What is stereo and where did it come from? Did Thomas Edison invent it or was it someone else? Were there a few odd and failed attempts along the way? When was the first mass-produced record created? This episode gets you the details and insights into how stereo recordings were innovative, created, produced, and distributed. So let's get started. As I researched this topic, it became clear that several factors had to come together to get to where we are now, with stereo recordings being the norm and the future of recording possibly going way beyond that. So give a listen to my episode on spatial audio. I'm going to say up front that I'm leveraging a lot of information from Wikipedia, which has done an excellent job bringing together a lot of this information that I would have otherwise had to bring together. I can do this with a clear conscience because my wife and I contribute consistently to Wikipedia, so please consider doing the same as well. For stereo recordings to make it to your stereo system in your living room or dorm, a lot had to happen, as I mentioned. First, someone needed to come up with a way to even record sound. Then, someone needed to have the insight that the existing state-of-the-art monophonic sound was just not going to cut it going forward. Then, stereo recording needed to be perfected. There needed to be a way to record two separate but synchronized tracks, left and right channels. Then, there needed to be a way to get stereo recordings out to the public, on a medium that would survive just more than just a few playings. For an interesting review of records made from old x-ray film, see my last episode, number 7, about bone music. There needed to be affordable photo cartridges available to the general public, and once all these things came together, stereo recordings, music on vinyl records in particular, really exploded. Let's take a look at the beginnings of sound recording. The story of sound recording and reproduction began in 1877, when the man of a thousand patents, Thomas Edison, invented the phonograph. In essence, his machine consisted of a sheet of tinfoil wrapped around a cylindrical drum, which, when turned by a handle, both rotated and moved laterally. As it moved, it passed under a touching metal stylus attached to one side of a diaphragm, On the other side of the diaphragm was a small mouthpiece into which the operator spoke. The sound waves focused onto the diaphragm and caused it to vibrate, which in turn caused the stylus to vary the pressure on the tinfoil. As the drum rotated and moved across the stylus, a groove was embossed in the tinfoil consisting of undulations approximating the pressure patterns of the sound waves. Playback involved placing the stylus at the beginning of the groove made during the recording and winding the cylinder along once again. The undulations in the tinfoil caused the stylus to move in and out, and so the diaphragm began to vibrate, which in turn moved the air in the mouthpiece, thus creating sound. Okay, so now we have recording, so what is stereo? Well, stereophonic sound is a method of sound recording and reproduction that recreates a multidimensional soundscape. This is usually achieved by recording two audio channels through a configuration of microphones and playback through loudspeakers or stereo headphones in such a way as to create the impression of sound heard from various directions, as in natural hearing. The method of creating stereo sound can be divided into two forms. The first is true or natural stereo, in which a live sound is captured with any natural reverberation or ambience present by an array of microphones. The signal is then reproduced over two loudspeakers to recreate as closely as possible the, loud, the live sound. Secondly, artificial or panpot stereo, in which multiple channels of sound are spread over two loudspeakers. By varying the relative amplitude of the signals of each channel sent to each speaker, an artificial direction relative to the listener can be suggested. The control, which is used to vary this relative amplitude of the signal, is known as a panpot or panoramic potentiometer. By combining multiple panpotted mono signals together, A complete yet entirely artificial stereo sound field can be recreated. This is the way that most multi-track recordings are made in the modern age. During two-channel sound recording, two microphones are placed in strategically chosen locations relative to the sound source, with both recording simultaneously. The two recorded channels will be similar, but each will have a distinct time of arrival and sound pressure level information. During playback, the listener brain uses those subtle differences in timing and sound level to triangulate the position of the recorded sound. Stereo recordings often cannot be played on mono systems without significant sound loss. Each microphone records each wavefront at slightly different time, and the wavefronts are out of phase. As a result, constructive and destructive interference can occur if both tracks are played back on the same speaker. The phenom- this phenomenon is known as phase cancellation. So what was the first stereo demonstration? Well, modern stereophonic technology was invented in 1930s by a British engineer, Alan Blumlin at EMI, who patented stereo records, stereo films, and also surround sound. In early 1931, Blumlin and his wife were at a local cinema. The sound reproduction system of the early talkies invariably only had one set of speakers, which could lead to the somewhat disconcerting effect of the actor being on one side of the screen whilst his voice was appearing to come from the other. Blumland declared to his wife that he had found a way to make the sound follow the actor across the screen. The genesis of these ideas is uncertain, but he explained them to Isaac Schoenberg in the late summer of 1931. His earliest notes on the subject are dated... September 25, 1931, and his patent have the title, Improvements in and Relating to Sound Transmission, Sound Recording, and Sound Reproducing sy- Systems. The application was dated December 14, 1931, and was accepted on June 14, 1933. Early Experimental Stereo Recordings Blumland began binaural experiments as early as 1933, and the first stereo discs were cut later the same year, 25 years before the method that became the standard for stereophonographic discs. These discs used two walls of the groove at right angles in order to carry the two channels. Meanwhile, in the United States... Harvey Fletcher of Bell Laboratories was also investigating techniques for stereophonic recording and reproduction. One of the techniques investigated was the wall of sound, which used an enormous array of microphones hung in a line across the front of an orchestra. Up to 80 microphones were used, each fed a corresponding loudspeaker placed in an identical position in a separate listening room. Several stereophonic test recordings using two microphones connected to two styli cutting two separate grooves on the same wax disc were made with Leopold Stokowski and the Philadelphia Orchestra at Philadelphia's Academy of Music in March 1932. The first, made on March 12, 1932, of Scriabin's Prometheus, Poem of Fire, is the earliest known surviving intentional stereo recording. Edison had been recording in a hill-and-dale or vertically-modulated format on on his cylinders and discs since 1877. And Berliner had been recording in a side-to-side or lateral format since shortly thereafter. Each format developed on its own trajectory until the late 1920s, when electrical recording on disc utilizing a microphone surpassed acoustic recording, where the performer needed to shout or play very loudly into what basically amounted to a megaphone in reverse. In 1952, sound engineer Emery Cook developed a binaural disc that used two separate grooves and playback needles to reproduce stereophonic sound. The following year, he had a catalogue of about 25 discs available for audio files. But a better recording me- mechanism was needed. At the time, AM radio had been around for roughly a decade, and broadcasters were looking for both better materials from which to make phonograph records, as well as a better format in which to record them to play over the narrow and thus inherently noisy radio channel. Radio stations had been playing the same shellac discs available to the public, and it was found that, even though the playback system was now electric rather than acoustic, the surface noise on the disc would mask the music after just a few plays. The development of acetate, bakelite, and vinyl helped solve this. Magnetic tape recording Magnetic tape recording was developed in Germany in 1982, based on magnetic wire recording. Magnetic tape revolutionized sound recording and reproduction and broadcasting. It allowed radio, which had always been broadcast live, to be recorded for later or repeated airing. It allowed gramophone records or vinyl records to be recorded in multiple parts, which were then mixed together to create that left and right stereo sound field I talked about. The first stereophonic recordings using magnetic tape were made in Germany in the early 1940s using magnetophone recorders. Around 300 recordings were made of various symphonies, most of which were seized by the Red Army at the end of World War II. The recordings were of relatively high fidelity. A 1944 recording of Anton Bruckner's Symphony No. 8 and a 1944 or 1945 recording of Beethoven's Piano Concerto No. 5 with flakfire Audible in the background are the only recordings still known to exist. In the U.S., stereo magnetic tape recording was demonstrated on standard quarter-inch tape for the first time in 1952. Later that same year, more experimental stereo recordings were conducted with Leopold Stokowski and a group of New York studio musicians at the RCA Victor Studios in New York. In February of 1954, the label also recorded a performance of Berlioz's masterpiece The Damnation of Faust by the Boston Symphony Orchestra, the success of which led to the practice of regular recording sessions in stereo. Stereo on Disc In November of 1957, the Small Audio Fidelity Records label released the first mass-produced stereophonic disc. Sidney Fry, founder and president, had Westrex engineers, owners of one of the two rival stereo disc cutting systems, cut a disc for release before any of the other major record labels could do so. Side one featured the Dukes of Dixieland, and side two featured railroad and other sound effects designed to engage and envelop the listener. This demonstration disc was introduced to the public in... December uh, 13, 1957, at the Times Auditorium in New York City. Only 500 copies of this initial demonstration record were pressed, and three days later, Fry advised Billboard Billboard magazine that he would send a free copy to anyone in the industry who wrote to him on company letterhead. The move generated such a great deal of publicity that early stereophonic record dealers were forced to demonstrate audio-fidelity records. Also, in December of 1957, Bel Canto Records, another small label, produced its own stereophonic demonstration disc on multicolored vinyl so that the stereo dealers could have more than one choice for demonstration. With the supplied special turntables featuring a clear platter lighted from underneath to show off the color as well as the sound, the stunt worked even better for Bel Canto, whose roster of jazz, easy listening, and lounge music pressed onto their trademark Caribbean blue vinyl sold well throughout 1958 and into 1959. Affordable cartridges ushered in the age of stereo records. When Audio Fidelity released its stereophonic demonstration disc, there was no affordable magnetic cartridge on the market capable of playing it. After the release of other demonstration discs, the other key factor in the popularity of stereo discs was the reduction in price of a stereo cartridge for playing these discs from $250 to to $29.95 in June, 1958. The first four mass-produced stereophonic discs available for buying for the public were released in 1958. It was Johnny Puelo and His Harmonica Gang, Volume 1, Railroad, Sounds of a Vanishing Era, Lionel Hampton and His Orchestra, and Marching Along with the Dukes of Dixieland, Volume 3. By the end of March, the company had released four more stereo LPs, interspersed with several by Bel Canto releases. Although both monaural as well as stereo LP records were manufactured for the first ten years of stereo on disc, the major labels issued their last monaural albums in 1968, relegating the format to 45 RPM singles, flexi-discs, and radio promotional materials, which continued until about 1975. So that brings us to today. I bought my first vinyl record at a store something like Waxy Maxis in the early 1970s. Embarrassingly, I think it was the Bay City Rollers. Now, vinyl records are still at the center of my vintage stereo system, but my tastes have elevated, and I now have many audiophile recordings in my collection. I posited in a recent episode that Apple's adoption and release of an ever-growing library of lossless and spatial audio on Apple Music may mean that traditional stereo may be eclipsed in years to come by recordings where it's not just left and right as in normal stereo, but sound can be positioned anywhere, up, down, left, right, front, back, in a spatial panorama. No matter, for me, I will embrace this new age of lossless and spatial audio willingly but always love the journey that led us to having stereo records in our collections in the 1960s, 70s, and 80s, and beyond, as well as to love the tactile sensation of opening up that vinyl record, putting it on the turntable, sitting back to enjoy it on my vintage Pioneer system as I appreciate the artwork, the lyrics, and the liner notes printed on the LP's jacket. Ah, that's what hi-fi is all about. Today, I did a deep dive into the history of sound recording and how stereo records came into being and into your record collection. Please visit my website, thesoundwaveshow.com, for links to materials that were used in this article. Thanks for tuning in and stay tuned for the next episode. All content, except where noted, is copyright Pat Shepard and thesoundwaveshow.com. The theme song is something I put together in GarageBand. See you next time.